1: Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We're glad that you're joining us today on this Friday. It is almost the weekend. We are so close to it. Hope you've got big plans for the weekend and uh, glad that you're spending some time with us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Lots of good conversation going on there. Uh, You can also find old shows at 1160hope.com. Uh, or wherever you get your podcast, Google play Apple podcast, uh Spotify, wherever it is you get that, and uh go ahead and subscribe rate review and uh thanks for those of you who do that well usually i 'm joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian uh, is enjoying vacation this week with his family, and so it's been fun it's been a good week of having uh, flying solo a little bit, bringing other people in if you missed uh, guys like Mike Klemecki or Ashley herr or others during the course of this week. Uh, we would love for you to podcast it. One other one that we had earlier this week was Dan Ehrman. And uh, you know what? When I needed somebody else to join me today, I said, Dan, what are you doing on Friday, man? What are you doing? And, you know, you were like, "Not oh, not much. And you didn't know that the next question was, put the headphones on, man. Come get a mic. So Dan is joining me for the whole show today. Uh, we're uh, We're going to have some fun today, man. So thanks for joining me.
2: Oh, sucker born every minute. <laughs> no, and, and if you're all uh, joining us right now, you're you're probably cruising home from work yep. on your Friday afternoon. Uh, enjoy the sun and uh, another good weekend here in Chicago.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So, uh, if you remember, uh, Dan was here Monday or Tuesday. Now I'm losing. No, Wednesday. You were with us on Wednesday. And uh, Dan does a bunch of things, but one of them is host a show here on this station uh, called Leading the Church, in which he interviews a lot of po- uh, local pastors. We're, we're we're well up over a hundred now, right? What, what number are we on?
2: I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it's over a hundred. It's been uh, over two and a half years of uh, weekly interviews with with pastors That's across awesome. Chicago.
1: So you can find that at eleven sixty hopecom and it's got its own podcast uh, called Leading the Church. I encourage you to do that. Well, Dan's it, good. You is- know,
2: and w- the best way to uh, I think get those podcasts is we actually have an app. So if you go oh, to yeah. your app store and look for AM eleven sixty, you can download that app, and there's a podcast button there. It'll pop up on your phone. It's really easy to use. I love the
1: interface there. See, friends, we can't make your job any easier. We do, like it's like we can't come sit with you in your car and load it for you. But other than that, we're we're about Close to that, so uh, we're excited to have you join us today. Uh, so Dan, we're not just going to talk about you. We're gonna we're gonna jump into some stories of the day. And I found a really funny story. It's funny, but I want to use it as a jumping off point to something that I think is plaguing the church right now, uh, Big C Church. Uh, and uh, it starts with this: A-listers flock to Google Summit in private jets, mega yachts to talk climate change. Uh, Let me give you some of the particulars. It says some of the world's most rich and famous have flocked to an Italian resort to talk about saving the earth, uh, but they're punishing her in the process. The billionaire creators of Google have invited a who's who of A-list names to the Sicilian seaside for a mega party they've dubbed Google Camp. And the three day event will focus on fighting climate change. Uh, so that's kind of the point of this. And it says this, and this is written a little tongue in cheek. It says, though, it's unknown how much time the attendees will spend discussing their own effect on the environment, such as the scores of private jets that have arrived and the mega yachts that they have been staying on. uh The three day camp will cost the tech giant some 20 million dollars. But according to the Italian press reports, the attendees were expected to show up in one hundred and fourteen private jets. Forty had arrived by sunday and this the paper crunched the numbers that found that 114 first class seats from los angeles to italy were the camp guest uh it talks about the co2 in the air and uh so it's it's kind of making a jab at some of the uh some of the hypocrisy here and if any of you are wondering why i left names out purposefully done
2: you just tag another million dollars on for carbon offsets and you're good to go it's, i mean
1: and so people are having fun with this but but there is a hypocrisy that makes you go how'd you not see this like how did we not all see this the answer might be they don't care or whatever uh funny scary uh, scary disturbing when you first read this story what are your thoughts
2: it's all matter of perspective it's mm-hmm. all that right of uh some of the stuff they may address may have uh, repercussions and ripple effects that far outweigh the you know carbon that they're they're expending, but it screams of hypocrisy. It, yeah. it, it it just it reeks of it.
1: Yep, yep. And that's what I want to get at here. When I said it's kind of a funny story, like these are stories. Every now and then you read them, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like politicians or celebrities just don't feel like they get it sometimes. Uh, or care to get it, but uh, people say the same thing about the church, and the issue of hypocrisy and the church church leadership. Uh, but also going down, so often we hear people say that, like, it's it's Christians who are most get in the way of people knowing who Jesus is. And, and so jumping off, getting away from kind of a funny, ironic, just kind of ah, roll your eye story to a bigger issue and that of hypocrisy in the church. How big of an issue do you think that actually is uh, for the cause of Christ, especially in our culture?
2: It's a huge issue. It's. Yep. It's, it's valid. You, you look at the heroes of faith you, you, and it's replete with history of hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and God you know, talks about David being a man after his own heart. Well, what does that actually look like? And uh, in what ways was he that? And it, so I think it, it really drives us toward not putting ourselves up as the moral beacon, but putting Jesus mm. up Um, as that, and man, it, it, but we have to be careful in, in how we position ourselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm wondering then what is the answer? I agree with you. And I agree with people who say that Christians on the one hand, Christians are the, are a big stumbling block for people. On the other hand, one of the, one of the hallmarks of Christianity is we're not perfect. We need God's grace. And so what, what do you think is, um, whether it be for pastors or just for lay people, uh, what is the takeaway? Is it, um, you know, be careful how you live or is it use our hypocrisy as a way to point people to the grace of God that we need?
2: The, the Bible says that they'll know your Christians by your love for one another. Mm. And we need to move into that. And part of love for one another in a sin uh, tainted world. And it where each of our hearts, has brokenness mm-hmm. in it is living in grace with an, one another of uh, and, and exemplifying what does it look like to do that? Yeah, and we're not inviting people into a community of perfection. We're inviting people into this this journey on you know helping people people find their way back to God of yep. of people moving into um, engaging those issues of. Uh, the fundamental premise of Christianity is the offense that mm. I am a sinner yes that I need grace that I have shame that you know so much of our culture wants to say that uh, you know sin is not sin you why are Christians shaming people yep, yep. and the reality is sin and shame are there mm. and it's not that we're calling them out to point them out but that we're pointing people to Jesus and saying in Realizing the sin and shame, look at the grace. Move into that, and man, that's that's where the sweetness
1: lies, and that's the good news, like you said. And and I guess I would say I'd close us when talking about hypocrisy with this: own your hypocrisy. But sometimes Christians seem to flaunt their hypocrisy. (laughs) too much the way these a listers, as the as the title says, are flaunting their uh, their lack like that hypocrisy? It, It seems to be flaunting, and sometimes we flaunt our hypocrisy, and that's when people get really angry. Uh, but instead, if we're like, you know what, I am a sinner, I am a hypocrite, but let me again use it as an opportunity to tell you about the grace of Jesus. Now we're kind of doing some work. Now we're doing well. But uh, sometimes I wonder if we're like, yeah, we're all hypocrites, but I'm going to continue just going for it. And uh, and that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Well, uh, it's good having you in, man. It's good not to listen myself talk the whole time. So uh, next, we are going to talk about Mr. Rogers and what Mr. Rogers, why there's this groundswell of love for mr rogers right now it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood there you go <laughs> and we are doing this without ian here with his cardigan but we are uh, but why uh why is that particularly happening in our cur- current cultural context i think it is very much for a reason that's coming up next on the common good am 1160 hope for your life
3: it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood a beautiful day for a neighbor would you be mine could you be mine
1: the neighborly day. Well, history. that's why we love our producer. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Way to go, John. A clap for you, my man. He said it on break.
4: He's like, I wonder if he's going to have it. And I just kind of was like, wait for You're it. Like, wait I, for I it. am.
1: Yes, I am. Well, that music, if any of you who grew up in the I don't even know when it would be 70s, 80s, uh, you know that very well as the theme music for Mr. Rogers. He'd always come walking in and uh, and be. Uh, that would be the start of his show it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I thought I was going to have to sing it. So we thank you for finding it instead. Amen. Um, yeah, but, uh, but we are glad that you were able to do that. Um, but it brings us to this. There's movies. There's a documentary about Mr. Rogers that came out. There's a new movie. Is it out or about to come out with, uh, with Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers? Have you seen any of those pictures? Dan, Dan Erman's joining us, by the way. Have you seen any of the pictures of Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers?
2: I've seen pictures of it. I haven't watched the trailer yet. I think it's a trailer that came out for, for a movie that he'll, he'll be starring He's as coming. Mr. Rogers.
1: The reason I ask is because it is frightening how much he looks like Mr. Rogers. Yeah, it's frightening. <laughs> so I'm excited to see that. But here's the weird part: Mister Rogers was around for a very long time, and it, I didn't grow up. Which, would you grow up watching him? A little bit. Yeah.
2: Uh, we didn't have a TV when I was a kid, but awesome. uh, uh, I would go over to the v X house and uh, park awesome. in their, their basement TV, and uh, they they would tolerate that.
1: That's so. awesome. I don't know why I my family. I didn't grow up watching Mister Rogers or watching the Sesame Street all that much. We did some. But my wife was like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers just daily, just. And so this is what's striking to me. Mr. Rogers has now been off the air. You can still see, obviously, repeats, but it Mr. Rogers himself has been off the air for a long time and passed away a while ago and, uh, you know, kind of faded away into, you know, 70s and 80s TV. And now there's this resurgence. There's this resurgence through a documentary, there's this resurgence through a movie, there's this resurgence of people talking about Mr. Rogers, and, uh, and there's almost this veneration of Fred Rogers going on on Facebook and these other spots, and I think it's really interesting to dive into why because it's not, I don't think it's random. I don't think it's like, oh, you know, yeah, it could have been Mr. Rogers. It could have been Sesame Street. It could have been happy days. Could have been Matt, whatever. I think it's very specific for this time and place that people are going back to Mr. Rogers, almost with a longing and a, wow, we wish we had a voice like this now. Um, So I do think it's very, uh, I think it's got very particular reasons. Wondering if you agree with me.
2: Yeah, I do. And, I think the the movie and the documentary response to the culture, um, you know, in, in in a gravitation toward Mr. Rogers uh, I I think there is the hipster cardigan (laughs) element and uh, but there's also something about being a friend about being a neighbor that uh, is a challenge of our age where, uh people don't know how to hang out. Yep. And uh, we you know even in for for disciple making in mm. the church of one of the fundamentals
1: that we need to recapture is how to be community. Yeah, it's good. And I, I, I think this whole concept where he comes in and it's this whole concept of neighbor. Yeah. Right? Like uh so I think that's one element not even the one I was going to think about us going down but you put us there is like uh how many of us don't even know our neighbors? And so this concept of a guy who's like, won't you be my neighbor? It's kind of this neighbor, this community. Uh, I It does harken back to a different age. I think a lot of us miss. We've talked ad nauseum on the show about the loneliness of Americans. Uh, that we're more connected than we've ever been, uh, but we're lonelier than we've ever been. And Mr. Rogers, there's something that harkens back to a different day where you knew your neighbor, where you knew the people around you. But I think there's also even maybe a more foundational reason. Uh, and it's because Mr. Rogers was somebody who looked to bring people together, and we live in a culture that tears people apart. Mr. Rogers looked for kindness. Mr. Rogers looked for um, uh, to to build bridges. You know, he had African Americans on in his in on his show before that was ever known. Like now, that wouldn't be a big deal, but then it was a big deal. Uh, and so he broke down kind of the racial barriers, but also just the barriers of anger and kindness and divisiveness and. I think that as our culture becomes more and more divisive, I think that as our entertainment becomes more divisive and less pure, uh, people are longing for a day where there was this well-known guy in this well-known show of somebody who was building bridges and who was kind, uh, almost in a milk toast type of way like yeah. now if we watch it it's so hokey you're like taking off your shoes to come in and <laughs> thank you Dan, Dan took his shoes off which uh, had a different effect within the studio here <laughs> uh, but uh, it is this <laughs> won't you be my neighbor <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a little, we're a little too neighborly at the moment uh, but it's this day where people are longing for less divisiveness yeah. and I wonder if it's less about so I wonder if you think that's yeah. true and then the question becomes how How do we play that role in people's lives? That's
2: right. If you want to get a following, you, you get angry, you'll be a troll on Twitter (laughs) and uh, you'll, you'll get people retweeting you. And uh, so, I mean, we, we engage into that. We lean into it. We, we self promote um, and everybody's doing it and it, it becomes uh, uh, this, this thing of like, we recognize the hypocrisy in our own hearts, in our own lives. And, uh, yeah. Then we, we, want that purity. We want to see someone living out a, a neighbor that we'd actually want to engage yep. with. And like, it, it's interesting to think about Mr. Rogers and, uh, what was it about his TV persona mm-hmm. that people really are, are drawn into?
1: Yeah. It's America magazine, um, wrote an article about two years ago entitled in the age of Trump. Can Mr. Rogers help us manage our anger And so they're putting it on Donald Trump. And I would say I would say Donald Trump or not Donald Trump. I think we have an we have an angry culture. I think he's more of a fruit of that and less of a of a reason for it. Uh, And so I would even rebrand this as in an angry culture. Can Mr. Rogers help us manage our anger? And I think that we as Christians need to say, am I more Mr. Rogers in this scenario or am I more? kind of in the stream of culture and I'm a divider and an angry person, or am I more of a peacemaker and a unifier? And uh, I think that's what people are longing for. And let me just give you guys a, a little bit of a Bible here. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about being peacemakers and unifying while still standing up for what's right and what's wrong. And I think people see in Mr. Rogers, somebody that isn't really active in our culture. And I think that's a wonderful spot where the church has to step in.
2: It, on the flip of that, though, you can also see Jesus have his Trump-like moments. Sure, where, sure. You know, he'll call out uh, the powers that be, and, and and so you know that call to follow Jesus is not a call into uh, just meekness.
1: No, for sure, um, for sure. And, and
2: uh, but it's but it's also something where like both of those things are at play in being um, an image bearer of God. Yeah. And so when when we've got a culture that's pushed so far. Uh, to, to where we are now, uh, to have someone who's really uh, been steadfast for for a, a lifetime. Mm. Uh, there's something really attractive.
1: There really that. is. And so I we, we would leave it at this. Uh, hey, Christian out there, are you a unifier? Are you a divider? Are you adding to the anger of our culture? Or are you doing something that's a little less uh, cultural and maybe a little more neighborly? Getting to know your neighbor, being a bridge builder, uh, being one who shows this kind of, even if it was hokey on that show, but still the concept of being kind, uh, being a bridge builder, being somebody who reaches out to others, being somebody, uh, who loves other people. I think, quite frankly, we'll let, we'll wrap it up this way. I think people long for a day of Mr. Rogers because there's a lot of Jesus in that. And uh I think people are longing for it. So we'll see what the, if the movie does justice to it. I would encourage you to go look at the trailer and see Tom Hanks. It's a little creepy how much he looks like Mr. Rogers. But uh, I think there's a lot to chew on there as to why people even care about Mr. Rogers now. Uh, let's be honest, we've got better entertainment right now Than Mr. Rogers I don't think it's about his entertainment value yeah. And uh, it's something to chew on So, we'll come it up next here One of the fun things on this show Is we get an opportunity to interact with authors, musicians And other people We're going to do that next Talking to musician uh, Aaron Schust That's coming up next here on The Common Good AM 1160, hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out for the week enjoying the summertime, enjoying some family time. So grateful to be joined again by Dan Ehrman uh, sitting in. And we are excited to be joined on the phone right now uh, by Aaron Schust. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Brian, Dan, my pleasure. My honor. Thank you. Absolutely. Just some background on Aaron. Aaron uh, is well-known for such hits as My Hope is in You, uh, No One Higher, Ever Be. And if, you, uh, if you're if you aware uh, you know at all of Christian music, you know Aaron well. Uh, and we're having him on because he's going to be in concert at Trinity Lutheran Church in Tinley Park on Friday, September the 27th. And tickets are already available at iTickets.com dot com it's a small venue just 500 people we're going to talk a little bit about that but just kind of an intimate show Uh, but Aaron before we get to the concert you and Dan and I were talking off air uh, and I believe Dan asked you if you were on tour mode and you said you're in album creation mode uh, which I found really fascinating so could you talk to us about that just the process and where you're at right now
5: yeah, well, the, it's a, it's an exciting process, uh, mm-hmm. and the process of album creation probably has so many facets in and of itself. You know, the thing that I was gonna I was gonna mention next was just the the concept of um, of songwriting, mm. uh, and the, for recording, it kind of feels like a time capsule. You know, you, you know, like maybe I, I think of high schools or city halls. They say, let's take a couple things from this year. We'll put it in the time capsule. We'll bury it underground, and a hundred years from now, we'll open it up again and to see what <laughs> life was like. Sometimes you write a song. Um, in the middle of what life was like and you uh, you work on it for a few months and eventually you get around to maybe I'll record this and then you do and then the whole that whole process takes months and by the time people hear it you know you've, you've moved out of that season but it's a legitimate time capsule for where your heart was and what God was speaking to you then so even if you've moved on as an artist yeah um, someone's in that place and someone needs to hear that today wow so that's kind of where I am right now I just finished the final mixes yesterday so Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just posted yesterday that it's kind of like all the songs are finished. All the sounds are in the right place. So the mixing process is like getting all the levels right and the volumes, making sure that something's not louder than something else. It's not supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so we just need one more coat of polish. <laughs> that's mastering, you know, yes. the table's been built. It's been stained. It just needs that polish. There you go. And then it'll it'll be ready. Oh, that's awesome.
2: What, with your uh, next upcoming album, how many songs are you expecting to be on it?
5: Uh, there's going to be there's going to be eleven. Uh, in all fairness, there's ten, and then one is a live version of one of the ten. So eleven tracks, um, it, ten.
2: And when 10. you put together an album, do you intend it to be kind of consumed as singles or as like an album piece, or kind of both?
5: Kind of both. I'm such a fan of the album, mm. so. Even even as I, one of my favorite things to do is sequence the album, which means simply put it in the in the best order possible. And as a worship leader, I'm always thinking of what's the song that people need to hear first. So I, I definitely cater for the people, those <laughs> those few people left on this planet who actually listen to track one, <laughs> two, yes. track eleven, or whatever it is. Um, but I also realized that um, uh, for the past ten years or so, we've moved into a, a single. Yeah. Uh, as far as consumption and saying, oh, I like this guy, I'm going to buy track six because I like track six or do we even buy music anymore? People no. are streaming now. So, yeah. Right. But, but in, all, in all fairness, I mean, people there are, <laughs> get this, this is a good story. I met <laughs> a, a 20, I don't know, I'm going to guess 20, 20, 21 year old uh, guy who came to my concert last year. Excuse me, last week. And he, uh, at the signing table afterwards, he handed me a CD for me to sign. He couldn't figure out how to open it. (laughs) And I, and I I said, I forget his name. I'm going to say Dustin. I was like, Dustin. Is this your first CD you've ever purchased? And he just kind of like quietly shook his head. Yes. I'm like, congratulations. <laughs> uh, so I, I had fun. I, I explained this is this round thing. You have to make sure that the shiny part is down. Yeah, that's you know, the awesome. Because, I, um, but but there's so much. Uh, you know, so many other people who they're, they're not going to touch iTunes. They're not going to touch digital because why would I touch? Why would I purchase something I can't actually yeah. touch? So it's you, you have to you have to do the singles, but not worry so much. Like, you know, I'll stop talking here. I'm, you can tell I'm excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the, this, I think this album stylistically and maybe even thematically is more diverse than like within itself mm. than any other album I've, I've, I've put together. And I think uh, going back to that time capsule thing, I don't feel guilty about it because like this song, I wrote a song uh, as my uncle. Well, two years ago was passing away, uh, and aside from a miracle, he was going to pass on into the next life, and I wrote a song about that. And mm. that, um, it's not a worship song, but it's it's all of my songs draw attention to who God is. They, they magnify God. They take you can't we can't make God any bigger than he already is, but we can get a closer look as if looking through a telescope. And that's what I try to do in my
1: songs. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm wondering uh, this might be a both and but uh, what do you enjoy more the the creating process, the writing process or the performing and the and the doing shows and being on tours or one that you gravitate more one gravitate more than uh-huh. the other.
5: I think probably, uh, the recording process would take, would take first place because there's so much hope. Um, when you're in the writing process, there, there's, there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of desire for potential for, for it to stir people's souls and meet them where they need to be met. Um, it, it feels like a vetting process cause you end up right. I mean, for me, I don't know, maybe for every 30 or 40 songs, um, you know five of them might survive to the recording process. Mm-hmm. You have this sense of these are the top. this is the cream of the crop and and yet people still haven 't delivered their opinion they haven 't critiqued it yet, so you still have nothing but hope for these this cream of the crop and, and all of a sudden, it goes from an idea on a on an out of tune acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and now it 's sounding really good now there 's background vocals now there 's strings and now now it 's sounding like it 's an, an actual song. Uh, the performing process, uh, or, or part of the whole process, um, is definitely the most frightening because now you're the most exposed. There's a chance that you can sing out of tune, there's a chance that the, the house system will collapse, there's a, <laughs> there's a chance that your strings will break, there's a chance that people won't like it. And so that's um, that's always a little frightening, which is why, again, as a worship leader, I have to make sure that, and this works well with the songs that I write, my audience is God. And I'm worshiping Him. Yeah. If people want to join in; they're welcome to. Um, but that's that cool. keeps it a holy. That, that keeps the performance less of a performance for me. I get that I'm standing on stage, singing in a microphone, yeah, with a yeah. spotlight on my face, so that's kind of awkward. But I'm, I'm.
1: This is it's a worshipful, holy experience for me. Well, oh, that's awesome. So uh, we want to make sure to pub this concert that's coming up Friday, September 27th at Trinity Lutheran Church here in Tinley Park. Uh, So people who um, may consider going, uh, it's like we said, it's a small venue, 500 people up close and a personal experience, maybe paint a picture for what people could experience, what they're going to experience if they come to that concert on that night.
5: Sure. Yeah, I, I often travel with a full band. This will not be one of those cases. No. My drummer will come with me, and he plays more things than any human should play at one time. <laughs> and it's, but it's not. It's 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 interesting. I think for the people who are uh, interested in music, he's he's enjoyable to watch. We have a great time on stage together. Um, but uh, it, he he sits on a little cajon, which is like a square little box.
1: Yeah, that
2: can
5: hit. it sounds like drums, and he has a tambourine attached to his left foot. But I promise you, it doesn't look like a one man band. It's just a full sound. <laughs> for two people on stage. Um, and and I think by the nature of, of, the, of the intimate setting and, and by the nature of it being a, a concert as opposed to a worship experience, there'll be some stories that we'll tell in between and and uh, it'll, it'll feel like a big living room. Hopefully
1: that's always the goal. Well, as a reminder, that concert is taking place Friday, September the 27th at Trinity Lutheran church in Tinley park. Uh, tickets are available at itickets.com. That's itickets.com. And uh, it says here they're very excited to bring Aaron to Trinity again for a small venue, up close, personal experience. Aaron, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun, kind of pull back the curtain and know about the process and how all of this works. This has been really enjoyable. Thanks for joining us.
5: Oh, man, my pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you,
1: Dan. Yep, have a great day. Again, uh, that was Aaron Schust. His concert is Friday, September 27th at Trinity Lutheran Church in Tinley Park. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Friday. You guys have almost made it. It's the weekend. Hopefully you have big plans for this weekend, uh, being outside and enjoying family and stuff like that. But we're glad that you're with us at this point. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you find your, your podcasts. And uh, as Dan Irman, who's sitting in for Ian Simpkins today, re- reminded us earlier in the show, we've got an app. Uh, what's the app again? AM 1160? Yeah, just go to
2: your app store look for AM 1160 and it'll pop
1: up. There you go. The app is easy way to get the podcast, other news, other things. And If, uh, if
2: you ever get interference, <laughs> by the way, like an AM dial, it's a perfect way if you've got Bluetooth in your car. You can pop oh, that yeah. in
1: and pull that up friends, what we're saying is there are so many ways to listen to us. It's almost criminal not to. <laughs> there, there you go. I guess if you're not listening to us, A, you're not hearing this. But B, there's got to be a more uh, significant reason than you couldn't get us, I, guess, I suppose. So that should worry us. But, uh, yeah, we, we are grateful for all of our listeners. We are, uh, it's fun to hear back from you. So you can do that at Facebook as well. Well. Kind of a story that went viral, man. That was uh, that's funny. First, before I get into it, Disney World. You have a child. How old's your kid? Uh, Sam is six years old. Six years old. You are right in the. Uh, you are in the Disney World. Uh, you are. You are. You are right there. You're I've, in. They say you're in the zone right there.
2: I've promised my wife whenever she and my mother-in-law want to take Sam to Disney World, I'm happy for them to go. I'll watch the dog.
1: <laughs> so you're not a Disney World guy.
2: You know, I, I've been and uh, it it. There's nothing more miserable than hot, humid weather and <laughs> roller coasters with bad food. Like
1: So, <laughs> uh, so I've, I have various thoughts on Disney World. One is I said in a sermon one time, I said, it's really ironic to me that the happiest place in the world that you the happiest place on earth, you get in there and you just see parents yelling and kids crying all day. <laughs> with that said, mm. I am a I'm a Disney World enthusiast. I love Disney World. I can see it in your eyes. This doesn't surprise you one bit. You're allowed to be wrong. But but, but I, I have a caveat to this in a second. I've we've been there. I've got three kids as you know, one of them, uh, my daughter, we took for the first time when she was like three, but she is now going to be a sophomore in high school. She's going on 16. Uh, I have another child going in sixth grade, another one going in the fifth grade. So all of them have been down to that Disney World Universal Studios all multiple times. Uh, I would put it this way. I love Disney World and per- parent parenthetically, I've never paid for it. So that is a big difference right there. Grandparents, both sides. So you are people who want to go with our kids. So I'm not sure that I have it in me to pay for Disney World. Uh, But as a free activity, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That is is a big shift. (laughs) Because when you see the price tag of things at Disney World, uh, that is no joke. It's not for the faint of heart. Yep. yep. But we might need to get our, our producer in on this in a second. But first, let me tell the story. It says this out of CBS News, childless millennials should be banned from Disney World tired mom rants. <laughs> uh, the parent in a viral expletive laced Facebook post said that childless millennials have no place in Disney World and should be banned from the theme park. The diatribe was sparked by parenting difficulties. The mother said she experienced at Disney World while caring for a cranky three year old. While the Facebook user said the family resorts are just for children, Disney has actually been courting childless adults for years. So it, it's, it began like as almost like just one person's venting about having a three-year-old at Disney world and the trouble that it is and her frustration in at the lines being longer and all this stuff because of this increase in childless people going to Disney world. And uh, it is true. You see a lot of people, uh, bachelor parties, I should say bachelorette parties, usually honeymoons, Um, or just people there as just couples. I've I know a couple with no kids who goes there almost every year. Uh, so do I. I know multiple couples who go there without their kids. Yeah, so this feels like a total get off my lawn type of thing. Someone who was cranky because they had to chase a three year old watching other people not have to chase kids. Uh, producer John over there, you like, I've just begun referring to him as producer John with no last name. Uh, as, John, John is his last name. There you go. First name is producer. As the resident mid-20 millennials without kids, uh, uh, does this make you angry or uh, Disney World? What are your thoughts? Well, I have no frame of reference. I've
4: never been to Disney. But you do have a frame of reference because you're 25 with no kids. I, I, if Okay, so... I have a friend who plays a Cinderella. I think she plays multiple princesses down there. Spoiler. Oh that's cool. I'm sorry. So that's her job. And um she takes pictures with more people my age. Than the children That's wild. Well, and a I lie. think It has to be Yeah the tell us fact, why It has to be the fact That they probably Went there as kids And mm-hmm. I think we're living In this age of nostalgia That's why we're seeing Mr. Rogers Just stuff. talked about it yep. Yeah We're seeing uh, All these remakes Of, of movies uh, like Live remakes Of Disney movies And stuff like that And that is sparking Uh, People's childhood And they're just like Oh that was great And this place still exists And Disney World's largely Unchanged as far as the themes There's still Mickey Mouse And Donald Duck And all those guys running around All the Disney princesses That we all came to know And love Uh, Cinderella, Bell, all those. And I think it just, it resonates with people. Interesting. Okay. That
2: may be even indicative of, you know, not the shift to politics, but like Trump running on make America great again mm. is resonant in that same theme of nostalgia.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John, if a buddy of yours or a group of friends were like, I want to go to Disney world, do you think you'd go? Yeah, I would go for, like you said, you go for free. It's kind of like getting beer at a ball
4: game. If you're not paying for it, sure.
2: You know, I have to confess, I went to Disney in my 20s uh, with buddies. So I'll I'll just fall on that sword real quick.
1: Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Every parent. Here's the truth. Every parent out there knows right now. Everyone with little kids knows this at the moment. Disney without kids would be less magical. There is something magical about seeing your kids' eyes the first it's time the wonder, they walk yeah. in. There would be something less magical. 100% it would be more fun without your children. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I, any, any parent of a three-year-old, there, there's, like, I, I extend grace for frustration yes. of dealing with people who don't have kids in that context
1: because it is hard work. It is. Uh, I have a friend who uh, said to me a while ago said uh when you go away with your kids that's a trip when you go away without your kids that's a vacation nah. <laughs> and there is the difference and so we thought this was a funny story um but man talk about get off my lawn right like I've I joked the other day I've turned into get off my lawn guy here on the show uh but this feels like this lady venting at I think you're venting because your kid was throwing a tantrum and you were you were a little angry and a little hot and uh no
2: doubt it w-
1: she probably wrote this blog while standing in line. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And it went viral. Uh, and so there there literally are people being like, but what's interesting here, here, there's another question uh, in the short time we have. Part of this article, though, says that in reality, Disney World is spending a lot of money in advertising courting uh, millennials with no kids. Do you find that to be surprising at all?
2: That's a huge part of the population up and yeah. coming of, you know, you've got you've got the, um, you know tons and tons of people who don 't have kids, and you know i 've heard some people say that the biggest impact to uh, for, of the 20th, uh, the 20th century wasn 't you know nuclear war but was co- uh, artificial contraception mm. and the impact of that in culture and life and uh, I think Disney is uh, recognizing some of the impact of that in popular culture and the money that 's available yeah. to people who don 't have kids
1: yeah the expendable income. And, uh, and here's the other deal. If they're having kids later and they've had a great experience at Disney World in their 20s, where are they going with their kids in their 30s? Disney is not dumb. No. <laughs> that, no. They, they were not started by. Hey, what does the winner of the people? Super Bowl say? Yeah. Going to Disney World. Yeah. Who's watching it? Yeah, Come on. But you know why they're going? Because they're not paying either. <laughs> <laughs> they're getting paid to go. Well, that's a fun conversation with John, but also Dan Erman joining me. My name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life.
0: It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Ian Simpkins is out today, uh, enjoying some family time and this summer. Uh, and the nice weather of the summer. So my name is Brian Fromm. I'm here with you. Uh, joined today by my friend and coworker Dan Ehrman. So thanks, man. Thanks for being here. Any big weekend plans? I think my wife will inform me. <laughs> I think we're going to
2: head to the beach on Saturday. That's Where do you plan. go, uh, well, we live up in crystal Lake. So yeah. there's a couple beaches there in town, or we might up head up to twin lakes, uh, where, uh, there's family up that way as well.
1: Nice. I love the beach. That's that, that is like the highlight of the summer. Having grown up where I did in New Jersey, it's the ocean for me going down the shore. And like, that's just, people people like, what do you miss about the East coast? And literally something like the ocean, I think might be the biggest thing I miss. It It is a pretty big thing. Yeah. I, <laughs> yes, I do miss the ocean and greasy flat pizza, but other than that, I'm pretty good. And, uh, I am dragging a little bit. I went to two of the three Mets-White Sox games this weekend. I'm a little too old for that now. Uh, that, that's a lot. I think you can hear it, my voice, too, from yelling. I, I think, I'm, I, think I'm, I, I need to slow down a little bit. i got to remember I'm 42. <laughs> no doubt. Speaking of dying. <laughs> oh,
2: wow. So let me tell you a
1: story, and uh, this is what we call in the radio business a hard right turn, because it's actually a really sad story, but... One that has left me kind of—I've been doing some reading about it, and it's—it's uh, it's interesting what has been going on. It's about a guy by the name of Rob Mole, uh, Rob Mole, writer, author, uh, but also um, on staff, I believe, at least at some point, at Christianity Today. Uh, and at the age of forty-one, within the last week or two, Rob Mole tragically passed away. Uh, And I want to read some of the article, The Remembrance, the tribute written by Ted Olson. Ted Olson, also a prolific writer over Christianity Christianity Today and uh, a good friend of Rob Moll. So uh, really a heartfelt writing, and it gets really interesting and into something I want us to talk about. Uh, Olson writes, this last week, my dear friend and former CT colleague Rob Moll died from a fall while hiking In Mount Rainier National Park, he was only 41 and leaves behind a wife, four young children, other family members, and many friends across a wide range of organizations. And it goes into a little bit of what he did. But then it's interesting that one thing of what his book was about. So let me read this paragraph. But in one's interest of his, I've been uh, thinking a lot about this week. For years, Rob thought a lot about death. He volunteered as a hospice chaplain and took part. Uh, took a part-time job at a funeral home even before he decided, listen to what his first book was, even before deciding to write his first book called The Art of Dying. Why, I wondered, was such a young man so interested in learning how to die well? Isn't that something to think about after midlife? Few healthy and athletic 41-year-olds are as prepared for their death as Rob was. Few are so aware of their own mortality their short time on earth and the opportunity to seize our brief, um, to seize our brief amount here with joy, curiosity and rich relationships. Olson writes, I'm in deep grief over Rob's death. Other than my wife, the person I'd most like to talk to about it is Rob himself. He'd have some wise things to say. And then he quotes Rob mole uh, out of the art of dying Uh, where mole writes this, I will one day die. What should I think of that? And how should I prepare myself? And how could I help someone near death? If I haven't spent time considering my own mortality and man, I don't know. And, and and it's just really almost haunting, but in somewhat of a beautiful way that a guy who wrote a book about dying in his mid to late thirties, A guy who worked as a hospice chaplain, which is literally one of the hardest jobs you can have, because by the nature of hospice, everybody that you're working with dies. Yeah, Uh, literally dies quickly and soon. Uh, He worked part time at a funeral home. Death was on this guy's mind. And then he dies young. It's it's like uh, it's almost eerie, but in kind of a beautiful way. But this writing, he says, I will one day die myself. Uh, how would I help think about that? How would I prepare myself? This concept of preparing for death, thinking on our own mortality. uh, What, what role does that play? Do you believe Dan in, in the Christian life? Why is this an important thing for us as Christ followers to actually spend time doing while here on earth?
2: We don't want to look at death. We, we, um, we try to cover up our aging. (laughs) We, uh, you, you see, you see the middle aged, uh, a guy with a toupee or a second <laughs> wife yeah. and, you know, uh, grasping toward, uh, you know, what was, um, e- and so we don't want to look it in the eye. Yeah. We're we're not only afraid of it because who doesn't fear death, uh, but we also don't want to have to deal with it and, uh, it's not healthy for us yep. to, to live in only life mode. Uh, we, we want people to die away from us. We don't want to yep. be in, engaged, you know, in, in being a, a chaplain, you know, it, like you don't want to be in that environment, right? That's not our cultural, uh, structure at all. And, in and, and I mean, we even call our funerals now, we call them a celebration of life.
1: Mm, that is that's a great point, point. Uh, and it also becomes just different for the for the Christ follower because there, the Bible talks about this life being a mist, right? The Book of James, and that death is a reality, but that, that death is not ultimate. And so, I want to go two directions. One is out of the Book of Philippians, Paul says, "For me to live is Christ; to die is gain." Uh, for me, death is a reality, but Paul's able to say death isn't loss. In fact, it's gain. Mm because we get Jesus we get our home we are with we are made complete but then Paul goes on to say so i kind of want to die which is always a little weird like because it's be- it's better i get to go there remember paul's going through a lot of hardship but he says but while i'm here i have a mission to live out for me to live is christ there's something bigger than just enjoying my day living like this is never going to come to an end paul basically says the perspective of death gives our current life purpose and gives us uh, not just purpose, uh, but gives us fuel uh, to go and to go now and to start living. It gives us urgency. Uh, do you think all of that's true? Do you think that is that is some way that we could actually live that out? Because we know it's true. It's in the Bible. But can that inform how you and I and others live our lives now?
2: It has to. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we move into that expectation of uh, our own mortality and the hope that we have in, in Jesus, it, it allows us to live in fullness of life because we, while death is something that we fear, mm-hmm. we also can know the fear of God and the, the greatness of who God is yeah. and, and that it supersedes even uh, that, you know. Where o oh death um yes. is a victory in, in the sting of death. Um, you know, it it it's not into eternity, but that it's it is that in you know transition into yeah. um into the presence of Jesus.
1: Yeah, it, I love that passage, man. Paul writes, where o oh death is your victory, where o oh death is your sting, and then he taunts death. Like who taunts death, right? Uh but he says but, but why is he able to taunt it? Because death is not ultimate. And why is death not ultimate? Because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Uh, Jesus has, in Paul's words, defeated sin and death for all time. And friends, that's got to inform the way that we talk about death, the way we view death and the urgency it gives us now. And so I guess what we would say to people out there is, does your own mortality, uh, paralyze you and give you fear? I follow this one sports writer on Twitter. I won't give his name, but he's an avowed atheist. And probably once a month, he tweets very honestly about how death terrifies him, but that he's not going to go try to, in his words, pretend it's not scary by believing in something that's not true. That's where we break with him. Right. Right. But he says death is terrifying. Well, for the, uh, for the Christian death needs to be motivating.
2: Yeah. And it, Death, death is something where it it makes life precious, and that you know we that that ruach of God of of His Spirit His breath in us, and that you know we can live in, um, in in that every breath is a testimony to God's life giving presence, in that He is He's moving. Um, in with life for us. And yes. that, so he has, you know, good work prepared in advance so that we can walk in it um, while we are still alive.
1: Yeah. I guess I'd close it out this way. I said, uh, I'll often say at our church and sometimes this messes with people that a funeral, a Christian funeral is really sad because you're going to miss the person. It's a loss. Uh, it, they're, they're not here with us anymore. But the weird part is for the Christian, the Christian funeral uh, the person were the mourning and the sadness isn't for the person who died, uh, it's for those of us who are left behind, and we're going to have to live in that sadness and that missing, and uh, and that becomes a we, but but it becomes hard to get that in our minds, and so uh, we did we challenge it. We'd love your feedback. We'll post this story. We'd love your feedback at uh, the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook at. The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk to Wesley King about a an event going on locally later on next week called the Global Leadership Summit that is coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Usually joined by Ian Simkins, but Ian is out of town. Uh, This week on vacation with his family and uh, hopefully getting some good rest and relaxation. You can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, You can always find us online at 1160hope.com or find our podcast wherever it is that you find your podcast. Well, uh, coming up uh, in the uh, very soon near future is the Global Leadership Summit, something that, especially if you're from the Chicagoland, but it is now spread obviously nationwide over the last couple of years, that you are fully aware of. And uh, to talk about the global, global Leadership Summit, we are excited uh, to be joined by Reverend Wesley King, of the Global Leadership Network, uh, on staff of the Global Leadership Network as a U.S. field director with church relations team. So, uh, Wesley, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: It is my pleasure. Thanks for having us on.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. For those who are unaware, I kind of swim in the in the in the pastor church world. So in my world, we all kind of know about the Global Leadership Summit. But for those who may not know, why don't you give us a little bit of background and tell us what the global uh, the Global Leadership Summit is.
3: The Global Leadership Summit is a two-day world-class experience that is broadcast live from Chicago every August uh, to almost 500 uh, satellite locations in North America. And in the months that follow, the summit is translated into about 63 different languages and another 800 uh, locations around the world hold international summit. Wow. Uh, and we reach about 135 uh, different different countries. but. Really, the summit's more than just an event. It really is an experience that uh, kicks off a year-long transformation process. It it tries to uh, be consistent in providing tools that will help you as a leader, help your teams uh, be able to apply leadership principles, and to help you throughout the year to learn uh, together as you continue to
1: sharpen your leadership edge. Oh, that's awesome. And you talked about how it's it's international and across also our country. Maybe some stats. Uh, How many... Uh, does the Global Leadership Summit reach in the U.S. or even globally?
3: Yeah, exactly. It is a global ministry, and it continues to grow. So this year we're anticipating uh, 400,000, uh, give or take, uh, worldwide to participate in this year's Leadership Summit. Uh, about uh, 100,000 of that will be in the United States, and uh, we're excited to have our partners with us to, uh, to host folks, uh, not only from around the country, but even uh, the world.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, always some really well-known speakers at the Global Leadership Summit. Uh, who can uh, people expect to hear in 2019?
3: We have an absolutely incredible faculty this year. Sixteen individuals have agreed to invest in leaders around the world, and there are really just too many to unpack all of them. But our headline leader and summit champion is Craig Breschel, senior pastor of Life Church. Many of you know him. He is been uh, actually designated as one of the top 10 best CEOs by Glassdoor. He's going to be speaking twice this uh, summit uh, and at the beginning and the end, his ending talk is going to highlight heart, overhead leadership and it's going to be absolutely uh, phenomenal patrick lincione is a familiar name for those who have yep. engaged in the global leadership summit in years past he has a a new book that he's working on it's not finished yet and so we're getting very fresh content on the subject of motivation and how it shapes us as leaders so we're looking forward to uh having some inside track, if you will, to this book that he's trying to finish that will be published uh, in short order. Uh, many of you know Bear Grylls. Uh, he's oh, yeah. an incredible leader and uh, uh, has a TV show called Man Vs. Wild. is probably his uh, most familiar one. But he's going to be speaking in this interview that we've uh, done with him on living more boldly, how to achieve and to, and to dare bigger dreams. Uh, he's going to speak on the concepts of having greater courage, uh, exhibiting more kindness and and just the idea of never, ever giving up. We have a few others. Chris Voss is an FBI negotia- hostage negotiator, so we're going to learn how to negotiate uh, in a in, in a better manner, and uh, we're looking forward to having them. And then just one more, and then I'll yeah, stop absolutely. is, is mayor, mayor Asia Brown. Some of you may know that name. She is the mayor of Compton. Uh, straight out of Compton, you may remember. Yeah, Absolutely absolutely a trailblazer in government leadership and impacting folks with family values, quality of life uh, issues, uh, economic development. That is absolutely going to be an incredible time as we learn from Asia Brown, mayor of Compton.
1: That's awesome. I'm I'm always fascinated by the... Um, the mixture of people at the Global Leadership Summit, pastors, like you said, and Christians. And I mean, it's safe to say some of those people aren't even believers, but they're coming into almost a church setting to talk about leadership. Is that intentional on your guys' part?
3: It absolutely is. It's actually how God has organized the Global Leadership Summit. Certainly we want to help uh, Christians and churches maximize their full leadership potential. But as God has organized this, the summit, probably because of the faculty, and mostly because of the inviting uh, atmosphere of all of our host sites across the country and around the world, it is very attractive to people from all walks of life. Those who have a strong faith walk, those who have yet to cross the line of faith, maybe those that have a different faith walk, uh, people from the business community, from government, from education, uh, from the social nonprofit sector, and of course the church world all come together all come together to learn in a common environment, in a common experience, common language. And it absolutely is an incredible thing where everyone is welcome. And we, we call people to a point of mutual respect. Uh, and in that, in that environment, armed with enough humility, we believe that pastors can learn from business leaders, and business leaders can learn from educators, mm. and educators can learn from government leaders. Yeah. So it is absolutely an incredible environment that we have. Uh, to be together in the Global Leadership Summit. And this, this uh, summit is, uh, the 19th summit is August 8 and 9. You want to be sure to get those dates out there, August 8 and 9.
1: August 8 and 9. Uh, who should come? Is It doesn't sound like it's just pastors. It's probably not just CEOs. Uh, maybe to the people out there listening who are going, is this for me? Uh, who is this targeted for? Who should join you guys at, at this?
3: Well, the short answer is everyone. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like a pretty broad brushstroke, but here's what we believe. Leadership is about influence. And every single one of us influence someone on some level. And the world is crying out for a better brand of leadership. And so if you care about those around you, if you care about the organizations in which you interact, if you care about your church, if you care about anything getting better, if you care about your own leadership and the opportunity that, that you have been entrusted with to influence other leaders, the summit is designed for you, but it's also best experienced in community with other leaders. Yeah. So we want to certainly uh, encourage you to lead yourself well, to lead others, and or lead organizations. But when you come together to experience the Global Leadership Summit, August 8 and 9, uh, with a team of people, the traction that you get, the, the the experience that you have is deepened and it's greater. And uh, it really, everyone should attend the global leadership summit.
1: Absolutely. And, and then maybe with a couple minutes we have left, uh, if someone says, okay, I'm going to jump, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this, uh, paint a picture of what you think will happen in their life. How will they leave there being changed or having grown?
3: Anytime that you present yourself into a situation and you open your heart up to God, mm-hmm. God always shows up. Mm. That's been my experience. And so anytime that I've approached something with an open heart, with open hands, with an open mind, it's amazing that some of the greatest lessons I've learned for life have, have I've learned from people that are radically different than I am. So armed with enough humility, uh, open heart, open hand, open mind, mm. uh, transformation can happen. And that's really what we want to lead people toward is transformation. And that's what the Leadership Summit provides. It provides an environment and experience. Our host sites do an incredible job in in opening and hosting people, uh, receiving people, and and just provides an experience
1: that truly
3: leads towards transformation when people enter in with that mindset.
1: Well, that's great. Again, the Global Leadership Summit is a two-day event taking place August 8th and 9th, so it's coming up quickly here. Uh, Wesley, could you point people to? You said there's all these satellites, all these satellite campuses or satellite uh, locations uh, showing what's going on uh, at the live site. Where can people find where those satellites are and maybe register and find the ones closest to them?
3: We have made it super convenient for you. Go to globalleadership.org forward slash summit. Globalleadership.org forward slash summit. And on that website, you will find all of our host sites in North America listed, and we have made it super easy for you to register, not only yourself, but also your teams. And okay. I might want to say that we had a number of students attending uh, oh. this year's summit across America in greater ways. So if you know a 12- through 17-year-old, there is no greater individual than you can invest in Than than our than our children, if you will. So when they experience the summit with you, it absolutely is an incredible transformation opportunity.
1: That's outstanding. Thank you for joining us today, Wes. You've been listening to Doctor, I'm sorry, Reverend Wesley King. He is on staff with the Global Leadership Network as the U.S. Field Director, talking about the Global Leadership Summit taking place august 8th and 9th so coming up and if you go to globalleadership.org forward slash summit you can find all the locations and how to register Uh, uh reverend king we are grateful for you and are praying that the global leadership summit goes well this year thanks for joining us today thank you so much for the opportunity absolutely absolutely well you're listening to the common good am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160. This song's got to get better, right? It, 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 hang on, because right now it's like weird. I don't think it gets better. All right, it's maybe the last time we hear that that one, one at the bottom of the <laughs> list. Yeah, this, this one's leaving. <laughs> uh, Mouse
2: Mouse.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, coming to the uh, the end of the show, we're getting to the end of our Friday. Hopefully, you've got a big weekend planned for yourself. My name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to the Common Good here on AM 1160. You can follow us on Facebook at the common good radio show, find our podcast old shows, uh, at our app at the website, uh, wherever it is. You get your podcasts. Grateful to have been joined by Dan Ehrman today. Hey, thanks for joining me today, man. You got kind of called in at the last minute out of the bullpen. I said, Hey, instead of an interview, you want to do a whole show?
2: Ian wanted to go to the Nickelback concert at Ravinia (laughs) and you know, somebody had to cover for him. So
1: he's going to both nights, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah, talking a lot without him here, I've like, man, my voice hurts. I'm like, oh, I'm, I, I need, I need to call in, a I need to call in a somebody else to be with me today. So I appreciate it, and uh, I want to talk a little bit, uh, not about a, a story or an article, but a little bit more of your something that is very personal for you. And so I, I gave, I said, hey, can we talk about this? And you're like, yeah, sure. And uh, it is this, <clears throat> it is that. I know you love the church. You're very immersed in the church. Ian and I always talk about how like him and I are kind of in. Like we're at like ground zero of the evangelical kind of church bubble as pastors and radio people. Like we know. So sometimes uh you can be too close, but you are too, right? You run a show called leading the church that has interviewed over a hundred pastors in the Chicagoland area. We'd encourage those of you who've never heard it to go get the podcast and listen to it. Um You can hear from great pastors like Ian Simpkins and Brian <laughs> Fromm. <laughs> yeah, He interviewed us a long time ago. Let me just say that. And so uh So all that to say, I mean, you worked with your dad uh, on a business that builds churches and helps churches who are trying to build and do new buildings or rehab buildings. Uh, You work at one of the biggest evangelical Christian stations in the Chicagoland. Uh, So all that I'm giving your resume as to why you're steeped in evangelicalism and Christianity. Uh, And so this is a long runway to say you also attend not the main campus, but a campus of Willow Creek. And you have. For how long? Uh, since I was married. There you go. Which is <laughs> uh, so off and on for ten years. Yeah, and, and I think the timing matters here because Willow Creek has oh, has also for years and years been the flagship church that pastors and churches aspire to be. Hey, it's willow. We go to willow conferences and we're taught how to do things. They don't say it this way, but you're taught how to do things the willow way. And
2: or taught not to do it the willow way, exactly. depending on what what camp you're in. Exactly. So. And I
1: always felt a weird pressure, especially in youth ministry, when I'd go to the Willow Youth Ministry conference going, I'm I'm not very good at this. Like what is it? That was more about me than them. They never said that. That was my own baggage taking that on. Uh and all that to say so many impressive things out of Willow. We just talked about the global leadership summit last segment. That's out. That is birthed out of Willow. But anybody who knows anything, not even about church, but in the Chicago land over the last year to two, you know uh, that the 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 head pastor, the guy who started Willow, the the celebrity, if you will. And I use that with air quotes of Willow. Bill Hybels um, took a momentous fall and it, this was the number one story in evangelicalism until Harvest came and kind of joined them with James McDonald. And so um, it, I don't want to rehash what happened at Willow, but sometimes in the church world, you can take this um, view that now that because of what happened at Willow, and because of Bill Hybels, that it discredits everything about Willow, and that anybody who still goes to Willow, um, is is ridiculous they've either drank the kool-aid or they don't really care about church you, you start to get lumped in that anybody who's really serious now they got out of willow and they're they're out well you yeah. stayed uh at willow uh the campus where'd you say it was crystal lake
2: yeah crystal lake we actually came back uh oh. and we, we just before he came public with that we had been exploring some other churches in the area yeah. and uh, the day that announcement came, came out, Laura and I looked at each other and said, we we need to go back.
1: And that's what I want to get at. Somebody who takes church really seriously, loves the church, has worked in church, has served church. Somebody like you who who loves the church, loves the gospel. You want to see people come to Christ. Yeah, I want to hear the journey of not only we stayed, but we came back. Like why? Uh, because I think it's admirable. I think it's too easy to beat up on Willow right now, to beat up on Harvest. There's a lot of good people there still doing good gospel work uh, for to advance the kingdom of Jesus and to see people come to Christ. Uh, and you're one of them. So I would like to know uh, why stay at Willow? Why invest yourself after all that they've been through?
2: Yeah, you, Willow Creek has always been like this known entity really from its launch, you know, yeah. since then if not the late seventies or early eighties for sure. And they have been either a poster child or kind of the, uh, uh the, the, uh, dartboard depending on, <laughs> yep. depending on who you are and, and where you're at. And, and more and often poster child. It, it really depends on what circles you're in. That's so, true. you know, That's I grew true. up in, um, a pretty conservative church world and, board uh, <laughs> A little more darkboard than, than not, yes. yeah. Um, and, you know, you've got people who love Jesus on both sides of that, yes. right? So we're not here to uh, necessarily critique Willow, but also just to say that, like, this is nothing new to have controversy around Willow Creek. Uh, since the 90s, they did a study talking about how discipleship was kind of a shortfall for them. Yep. And they've tried to address it over the years and we're even in a season now of trying to address it again. And, and what does that look like? Mm. So uh, it, it, like anything in life to really get into the the weeds on it, it's complicated. It's yeah. not something where it's like, here's a black and white issue and like everything that Bill Hybels did is wrong because now we've proven it. And it's also not like everything that Bill did is great because clearly it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so that's complex. Yeah, there's not a there's not a, a easy uh, way to thread that needle. So for us coming back to Willow, I I really believe it was God said go back, mm. and so we were trying to be obedient. Uh, we we came into Willow. Uh, you know, I I grew up at uh, College Church in Wheaton. Oh yeah, and um. Uh, so great church. Uh, Kent Hughes is a preacher yep. and, you know, really solid expositional preaching and not many people who came out of that world would go toward Willow Creek yep, where, yep. you know, they've been accused of uh, you know, a Ted talk with a Bible verse <laughs> at times. And and so like to go on that journey, a lot of it was family yeah, and it okay. was driven by relationship uh, for us. And so it was important to be in church with family, with extended family for our son, who's a single child to be at church with his cousins is such a gift yeah. to have family in church. Um, in so that's, that's all part of the personal element element for us. Some of it too, is that the church is a people. And uh, I, I think, you know, in, in, I, I like to look at a, a forest fire mm. and the, the month after a forest fire, Uh, the seedlings for the next forest are are sprouting. Mm. And so the seeds that willow uh, plants or any local church plants after a disaster Mm. are those seeds that can spring up into the next iteration of the church, whether it's called willow Creek or it's called something
1: else. Yeah. And with the last two minutes or so that we have here, that's really helpful, man. That's good. Uh, how, and not to give a Willow infomercial, but how has Willow, how have you seen it change after all it's been through? What are, what are maybe one or two markers that you see are healthy that you're excited about that are different than maybe how it was, you know, under past leadership.
2: It's been some great preaching mm. and um, I, I've heard more solid biblical preaching from the pulpit there than was sometimes customary uh-huh. um, in, in the, in That's the great. past where uh, you know, it, it it could become heavy on sort of applying the Bible to life and, mm. and drawing people in and you know Willow sometimes has been I, almost like a a standing big tent revival meeting in Chicago, and when you move into a bigger ecclesiology. You can almost look at any local church around Metro Chicago, and there are people who came to faith through Willow Creek in those, in those local
1: churches. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks, man. I, I, when I knew I was going to have you on, I was like, I, it's a question I want to ask them because I know how highly you view the church. And again, I think Willow gets a really bad rap that, mm-hmm. that across the Chicagoland, and some of it's fueled by jealousy of people going, people who go to Willow have a low view of church, mm-hmm. or they don't take this seriously if they'd stay there after this and uh, there quite frankly there aren't many people i know who have a higher view of church than yourself and yet you're there so i thought it would be really helpful to hear and it was so uh again switching gears we like to do that here just one big right turn to the I'm other
2: go from death to the global leadership summit to to uh, <laughs> to
1: crazy stuff we found on the internet so we are going to land this plane uh boat uh, dock this boat uh park this car And uh, rack this bike Whatever else you want to go with We are going to read some craziness we found on the internet To end our week That's what's coming up next year on The Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web Welcome back to The Common Good On AM 1160, Hope for Your Life Alongside Dan Ehrman today uh, As Ian Simpkins is out for the week He'll be back with us on Monday My name is Brian Fromm Ready to take you home for the weekend and we do that the same way at the end of every show and that is just craziness we have found on the internet. Not we, our executive producer Keith Conrad. It is from his mind, his twisted, funny, deranged mind depending on how it goes. Uh, And uh,
2: yeah, I I told Brian, if I was going to be here today, I had to be part of this segment. You are.
1: And it's 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 always a little nervous turning over the first one. Are you ready? Are you ready? You're going (laughs) ready, baby. Go for it.
2: Alleged Bigfoot sighting prompts gunfire at Kentucky Park. Federal officials are investigating a report that a man fired a shotgun while camping at Mammoth Cave National Park, an incident that another camper says was prompted by an alleged sighting of Bigfoot. (laughs) Mammoth Cave said law enforcement rangers responded early Sunday to a report of a person with a firearm at one of of the Kentucky Park's background campsites. Oh, man. Uh, Brad Brad Gin uh, told news outlets he and his girlfriend were camping nearby. We were awakened at 1 a.m. by a man with his son. The man said they said they were going to investigate strange noises he kept hearing. <laughs> Gin said he heard a gunshot minutes later, and the man returned to say Bigfoot had emerged from the woods, so he fired.
1: And clearly missed.
0: <laughs> Remember, it's up to us. Bigfoot is a crucial
1: part of the ecosystem if he exists. So let's all help keep Bigfoot possibly alive for future generations to enjoy unless he doesn't exist. <laughs> Next one out of Oregon. Man in Cookie Monster shirt shirt. Oh, that got dangerous. That, that you almost had the bleep right there, man. Man in Cookie Monster shirt, accused of cookie theft, said it was a misunderstanding. By the time Forest Grove police officers arrived at a convenience store, the man they were looking for had already left. All they knew was that he was wearing a Cookie Monster shirt. The store clerk told them the suspect came to the store in the middle of the night last week, gobbled down half a package of cookies and didn't pay for it. The trail had gone cold, but investigators caught a break the next day when the suspect went to police headquarters to head headquarters to confess. The unidentified man told the police he had taken the cookie without paying, but claimed it was a misunderstanding. Officers weren't buying it and gave him a citation for third degree theft.
2: See, it's for cookie. That's good enough for me.
1: I mean, that was too easy. That was too easy for him. He could be a drop for
2: everything. I love Cookie Monster. (laughs) Go Cubs. Uh, uh, Now we're off to Tennessee where a woman finds intruder in home wearing her clothes, cooking food, drinking her wine. A woman returned to her home Tuesday to find a woman broke into the home, was wearing her clothes, cooked a meal, and drank a bottle of her wine. The victim went into her home and found 41-year-old Lanicia Lee inside wearing the victim's clothes. The victim told police she did not know Lee or give her permission. (laughs) to enter the home not only was lee wearing the victim's clothes but she also cooked herself a meal drank a bottle of the woman's wine while in in the home memphis police uh report when officers arrived lee was still inside the home she was arrested driven to the police station for interviewing and charging uh in charging and taken to jail i'd just love to be there for the conversation while they're waiting for the police to arrive
3: mom there's a weird smell and a lot of cursing coming from the basement and dad's upstairs
1: you just wonder if she I don't think she would have arrested if she cooked a meal for her friend, like for the homeowner. Like a lot of us want to come home and like, oh, you did the dishes and cooked me a meal. I don't know who you are, but you, thank you. You have to pay for that. I know that's a service in other places. Massachusetts drunk driver busted when cops find gas pump nozzle attached to Range Rover. A woman was busted in Massachusetts for drunk driving after cops found her driving with a gas pump nozzle attached to her Range Rover. Drunk drivers always think they can drive fine, said the police. In addition to her inability to stay in her own traffic lane, there was something else about her vehicle that caught other motorist attention. Authorities identified the woman as Alicia Esquilin, 24. Uh, she was arraigned Monday on charges of operating under the influence of liquor, negligent operation of a motor vehicle and an open container violation. Police said, told Boston.com that the gas nozzle was later returned to its quote rightful owner, uh, a Prime Energy gas station in Woburn, about six miles away. Newsflash: You can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline pilots. <laughs> He's, that's a good one. That one Keith keep, keeps in the vault uh, for for the right time. If you haven't seen Scrubs, I encourage you to watch it. Yeah, that's <laughs> a,
2: that was funny. That was funny. Well, I got it. We're going there, Florida. Florida. Real estate agent listed a house with a photo of it. Of Engulfed in flames <laughs> For less than just $100,000 You can own this home in St. Petersburg There's just one twist The photo of the home in the real estate sh- uh, listing Shows the house on fire Not yes, even pro- a
1: little bit on fire This
4: picture is engulfed <laughs> <laughs> If this isn't a it, testament to the housing market I don't know what is. man
2: it, it was heavily damaged in a fire The description says the city has ordered the house be demolished But the listing continues in capital letters The lot is located in a very popular area The real estate agent who put the listing up Dylan Jack uh, was told that the fire occurred about nine months ago when the previous owners left to visit a family, then sold uh, to the uh, property owner uh, he's now representing. uh, A lot of uh, expensive homes in this neighborhood. The listing continues also in capital letters. You can't find a better lot. There's not too many lots available in this area. But all I did was
1: tell the truth. (laughs) Of course you did. But there's the truth and the truth. Now, this is fabulous because they could have just listed it as a lot, but they listed the house just on fire, engulfed in flames, I guess. I, it draws attention? I don't know. They, they just drew got Keith's attention, that's for they sure. Did. They did, <laughs> which tells you something. Dan, thanks for doing this, man. This was really helpful. Oh, I just appreciate like, it. Just like our show, here we
2: are going down <laughs> downhill fast. Well,
1: for Dan Ehrman and producer John, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for your life. Have a great weekend.